Hey, this is Adam Starling. I'm the senior pastor at Victory Family Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray this message will inspire you, encourage you, and hopefully challenge you to become everything that God has called you to be. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, family. How are we doing? Good. Glad you guys are here uh, today. If you don't know me, my name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here. And man, super excited that you were in this place. So if you're a guest, man, special thank you to you for just for being in this place. And so it's been a good Sunday thus far. It's only going to get better for you because let me tell you about a few things. Uh, for one, uh, the ice cream truck is outside. So that's just going to make everything better. Ice cream truck is outside on the east side over there. But also, listen, it's Qdoba day. So when you guys leave, Qdoba will be in the garage next door. And so, man, we're, we literally built that buildings where people would stay and have lunch with us. And so it's five bucks uh, cheaper than you get it at Qdoba, but whatever. So if you could <clears throat> hang out with us, uh, man, we would love to j- really just be, just be family with you guys. And so again, grab some ice cream while you're out there and just hang with us. Looks like the Lord held off that rain. I'm thinking it's because of your faithfulness. The Lord was good to y'all so you wouldn't get wet. Uh, do want to make sure you guys know July 9th, that is a Friday night. That is what we call summer nights. And so every campus is doing their own. We will have one here. It's really just like a huge block party. So really that, uh, right? Is that right street? Yeah, so this, this block down here, we will actually block off. I think there's five or six inflatables. Pony rides will be here. Uh, Yeti Pizza is gonna be here. Kona Ice will be here. Uh, there's gonna be music playing, live music all night. So it's just really, a, come hang out with the fam. Uh, just a huge block party, but it's gonna be fun. Summer nights, July the 9th. Well, let's get into it. So if you're new here, or if you haven't, or maybe you've been missing lately, uh, we've been kind of in a series in the book of Daniel. And so I've taught a little bit of this, but the book of Daniel, just so you, if you don't know, it's in your Bible in a section of the books that is called the prophets. Okay, so I'll kind of give you a recap of what's going on. So currently, right now, the nation of Israel has been conquered by Babylon, which is modern day Iraq for you geography buffs in here. So, so Babylon came in, just so you understand what's going on. They came in and they burned down the city. And those who didn't die, the ones who survived, have now been placed in what the Bible would say exile or captivity. And out of those, there was a group of men that became personal slaves to the king's court. Well, Daniel, who we're reading about, Daniel and his buddies were some of those. And so you'll see throughout this entire book that God used them, those guys, man, to influence the culture in which they were residing in. And by the way, the culture culture was very, very secular in this time. So you have Daniel who wants to live and he wants to serve the same God you and I serve, but he's, he's living in a culture that has no desire to do that. And so God used him to influence that culture. So really for us, I think there's a warning or maybe even an encouragement for us today. Quite honestly for me, and I don't want to be weird, but it's almost eerie to me. Like when I read these stories and how similar that they line up with our culture today. And so if you haven't been here, I'll kind of, again, recap here. Week one, really was the idea is the Babylonian culture in this time really just wanted to rename them. If you remember, they literally gave them Babylonian names. They already had Hebrew names, but they renamed them Babylonian names. And that's the first thing even today that culture wants to do. It will try to rename you, make you uh, somebody that God did not create you to be. And so we have believers walking around all the time that feel like maybe they're not worthy 
to be, to be called a, a follower of Christ, even though the Bible would say you are a son or daughter of the most high God, but culture has told you you ain't worthy. You're not this. You are actually this. And so careful because the culture, if you don't stay in here, will try to rename you uh, something that God never intended you uh, to be. Last week, we talked about what I said was kind of culture's, I think, kind of greatest test for us. Uh, we learned that the, the reality is you're going to worship. Whether you say you're a believer or not, listen to me, you're going to worship. The question is, what are you going to worship? Like you're worshipers, you're, every, it's, it's intrinsic inside of you. It's the way God created you. You will worship because there is a constant battle for your worship. And if you're honest with yourself, you, you feel that, you sense that, you fall in love with things that maybe you shouldn't fall in love with. Even, I said this a couple weeks in a row, it could be things that aren't sinful, but you just begin to love sports or you begin to love whatever more than you actually do God. So it becomes what you worship. Look at your checkbook. Look at your time. Look at your thoughts we talked about last week. Are they constantly going somewhere other than God? I'm not saying there's no hope. I'm just saying that's what you're worshiping. That's what you're, and, and listen, maybe it's, maybe it's working out. You get obsessed with that. Nothing wrong with that. I, I'm just saying like, if that's constantly all you think about, just be careful. Maybe it's vanity. Maybe you're worshiping yourself in the midst of that. Something that's maybe created to be incredibly well and to be honoring to God, but then we change it if we're not careful and we begin worshiping uh, those. Well, this week is what I would say is culture's greatest sin. And culture's greatest sin, I believe, is pride and arrogance. We're just full of it, myself included. Like we struggle with this more than anything. It's, it's to say this, God, I got this. I don't need your help. God, my marriage, I'm gonna handle this on my own. Not the way you choose for me to. My place of employment, my business I own, I got this, Lord. I'm not gonna use your values, I've got it. You sit back, God, I'll holler at you when I need you. Right, that's what we do in our culture. We decide that I'm gonna parent this way. I've got this. I, I just got t-shirt, world's greatest dad, so well, let me go ahead and parent. Let me go ahead and dad, right? I got the shirt. I don't need your help, God. And we don't, we don't vocally, we don't say that out loud always, man, but we live in such a way that, God, we got this. Like, we don't need your help. You think about the, the, the big sins, right? Murder, adultery. You think about those sins in themselves. They're rooted in pride. And so if it's murder, if it's, if it's your justice, like you said to yourself, I've got this, Lord. I don't need you. Like I can take care of this myself. So it's all rooted in pride or, or arrogance. So we're gonna see today what I, I believe really is an incredible story today, a story that would, we would see the king, King Old Nebi, we'll call him today, converted. King Nebuchadnezzar actually is converted. Toward the end of his life, Nebuchadnezzar actually falls in love with God, the God of the Bible. And so the passage we'll read here, just so you don't get confused, the passage starts at the end and then it kind of retells the story. So it might be kind of confusing at first, but understand it's kind of going backwards. We're starting at the end. It reads this way, uh, Daniel chapter four says this, King Nebuchadnezzar to all the peoples, nations and languages that dwell all the earth and all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God has done for me. It's him talking. It's incredible. It's the end of the story. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom, his everlasting kingdom, his dominion endures from generation to generation. This is Nebuchadnezzar. He's praising God. 
And so before we get too far into this story, I want to constantly remind us that, again, the book of Daniel is a prophetic book, which means every single bit of it, I believe, has application for us today, this Sunday morning. So as we read chapter four here, I think what you're going to see is kind of a, what I would say is kind of this full on end time insanity. I think there are things in our culture today that we watch happen that we've just become accustomed to. Even the beliefs that we possess, we just begin accustomed to them. But if you think about them, they're literally insane. And so basically the story kind of goes here is, is Nebuchadnezzar, man, he will not worship God. He's arrogant, he's full of pride, and then he's warned in a dream. So he has this dream and he's warned if he didn't worship God, God of the Bible we're talking about, he would literally go insane. Like he would literally go insane if he didn't. So he's got a warning from the Lord. If you don't turn and worship me, you will go insane. So I looked up the meaning of insanity. I think it's interesting for today. Insanity is deranged thinking. It's when your thinking is off that it actually produces turmoil in your soul. Like your mind's not thinking correctly. And so therefore there's no peace. There's no peace inside. If you think about it, man, we're living in what I would say is some end time insanity right now. Like our thinking just gets off. Like we get away from what the word of God actually says. If I'm being honest at times, I don't know that our culture thinks at all. Like this seems like there's no thinking in our culture. I read this week from an article from Gun Violence Archive. Man, I, I know anything at the time it's gun violence. It can slide really left or slide very far right. I, they seem to be fairly neutral, just in stats. And I also know that 50% of stats are made up on the spot. I'm not doing that, but that's so maybe they're not real. I just think, it's, I think it shows you where we are as a culture. So I, I don't care if there's one or there's 147, like they say. 147 mass shootings have occurred in 2021. Their definition is that a minimum of four gunshot wounds. I'm just saying we're crazy. Like we live in a culture that is crazy. We shoot people for no reason. Like it's a crazy culture that we're living in. And if, listen, if you're not careful, you'll watch the news like it doesn't phase you because it happens every single day. And you begin to think this is just earth. This is just planet earth. This is where we are. Like, where does that come from? I'm telling you, it comes from deranged thinking that's rooted in pride that will always lead to insanity, which is turmoil in your soul. Listen, God desires, I believe, for you to prosper greatly and have a soul that is at peace. God's desire is that we have a society that is at peace. Let's keep going here. Grab your notes because I want to show you three things that I think this story that you're going to see that are, are just completely insane. And I don't want you to miss them. Like sometimes we just think, ah, oh, it's whatever. No, it's crazy. It's insane thinking to think like this. Verse four says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. So he says, bro, I'm good. Like, I'm just fine. Like, I look around at this place. It's pretty sick. It's a pretty credible place. Like, I'm just fine. I've became prosperous. I'm good. Like, I don't know that I need you, God. I'm just fine over here. I think therein lies the first problem. Almost any type of prosperity leads to contentment. Oh, God, we got this. We'll call you later. We'll let you know when we begin to need you. So if you're not careful, man, we retreat into this relationship with God that's more like kind of a fire alarm kind of prayers. So when the house is burning down, God, where are you? 
Like, why have you left me, God? Like when the house is, when everything's collapsed all around you, families just in disarray, God, where are you? Like we have a tendency to push God away in our prosperity. And make sure you understand what I'm saying when I'm saying prosperity. I'm talking about just peace. I'm not talking about necessarily money. I'm talking about like when everything's going well, we're prosperous. Like, again, I'm not a prosperity gospel guy, but I believe God wants me to prosper. I think he wants me to be peace in my soul. When there's peace in my soul, if I'm not careful, I have a tendency to think, I got it. Like, it's easy. There's nothing really going on bad in my life. God, if you can stay up there, I'll stay down here. I'm just fine. We have a tendency to push him away when things are going great. So I think the lesson here is can we be or how can we be prosperous and still stay very close to God? Because I think if we don't, I think the same thing that happens to Nebuchadnezzar here, I think can happen to us. If we ever get to a place and we're sitting in our own world in our own house and we're just looking around at the stuff that we got and we think, man, we really got this thing going on. Like we literally think that we're on a different level than a lot of people and we leave God out of our lives. Man, I just think you're gonna find yourself in a time that's completely insane. Like you begin to think totally different. So insanity happens, write this down, when we are self-sufficient instead of God-dependent. And listen, the, the, the tricky thing is that's how we're taught in America. We're taught to, to take after ourselves. That's how I was raised. Be self-sufficient. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. We need to be God-dependent. And I know many people would sit here and say today, no, 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 Pastor, I, I'm certainly God-dependent. Let me confess to you, I'm not always God-dependent. You know what shows up the most? My prayerlessness. Like when I find out that I'm really not needing God and things are going just fine, I haven't called on God. Like, isn't it interesting that we pray a whole lot more when we're in trouble and we pray a whole lot less when we're not? Like when chaos breaks out and everything is crazy, I'm telling you, you can look this up, church attendance goes up. We go to war, church attendance will go up. It just happens. You can look historically, church attendance always goes up when bad things happen. But when, when everything's going well, and the economy is strong. Listen, I'm telling you, church attendance goes down. I saw an, an old article back from 9-11, uh, the, the, the Twin Towers. says this, is interesting, because a pastor out of Texas said that we had 20 some odd thousand people show up the Sunday after 9-11. The largest crowd in the history of our, it's a huge church, the largest crowd in the history of our church. But the pews were soon a bit roomier. I was disappointed somewhat that more didn't stick around because it dropped to 16,000 the next weekend. 16,000 people, 4,000 people just rolled out. Then the weekend after that, it went down to 14,000 people, which is about what they worship on a regular basis. This is interesting, I thought. This is old, I know, but it said by some estimates, on the Sunday following the terror attacks, roughly half of the adult population in the United States attended a religious service. But that attendance dropped off starting in November. Why is this? because we cry out to God when we're in trouble. We have a tendency to cry out to God when we're in trouble. Here's the warning. Can we stay God dependent when everything is going just fine? If so, how do we do that? We do that through prayer. The Bible says, give us this day our daily bread. Not give us this emergency bread. Like give me my daily nourishment, God. I need you every single day. We've got to be constantly, believers, listen to me, you've got to be constantly relying on God. Let's keep going here in verse 22. Let me set this up because I clearly skipped a whole lot of verses there. So, so Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream. And in this dream, he sees this big tree that's over his, it's a dream. 
It's a dream. He sees this big tree over his country. It had birds living in it. It was, there, were hanging, there was fruit hanging from it. It was bringing blessing to his whole country. All of a sudden in this dream though, this tree is cut down, but the stump remained. Well, he was, he was hoping that this picture that maybe the Lord had given him, he's hoping that it's a picture of what's gonna happen to his enemies. He's gonna cut his enemies off. That's what he hopes, right? So he brings in all the magicians, all kind of a dream interpretations you see in the Bible. He brings all these smart people in, these magicians, man, tell me what it is. Here's my dream, tell me what I dream. Nobody can do it. So it brings our boy Daniel in. Of course he can do it. And Daniel begins to explain to him uh, what your dream is about. This is, God's given me this gift. Let me tell you what you dreamed. Starting at verse 22, it says this. It is you, not your enemies actually, the tree. It is you, O king, who have grown and became strong. Sounds great so far. Your greatness has grown and it reaches to heaven. That makes me nervous. And your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, come down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field and let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let its portion be with the beast of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation. O king, this one I'm telling you is going down here. It's a decree from the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the King. This is what God is saying to my King. You understand, he's calling the Lord King, kingship. Now, he's not the Lord, but he's saying, the Lord has told me this is for you. 25 says that you shall be driven. This is what's gonna happen to you, King. You shall be driven from among men and dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. Now you go live with the animals, the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. That's insanity. When you, get, when you find yourself eating grass, like that's insanity, right? Like, I mean, listen, like, he's saying, King, you keep taking credit for things you didn't do. Like, it's insane to think you did some of this. Like, you're, you're taking credit. And he, if you remember, he stood and he admired his palace. He admired his own work. Well, unfortunately, I think we do the same thing. Look at the success I've had. Look at my business. Look at, look at my house. Look at my cars. Look what I've accomplished in this life. Listen, it happens to pastors too. I have to guard my heart against this all the time. I'm telling you, the last two years, I've never seen the Lord move like he has here. And it has nothing to do with me. I got brothers close brothers who have pastored a church for 10, 15 years, there's hundred people worshiping there. Nothing wrong with that. I have to be careful to guard my own pride to think that I had something to do with this. Like it's God and we all, if you're not careful, man, man the, the enemy will slide in and culture will begin to tell you to pat yourself on the back for things that God actually gave you. God, God says, I, I don't mind you being successful, but you can acknowledge that anything that came from you like, I'm fine with you feeling successful, but brother, sister, that didn't come from you. Listen, to think that, if you're a believer in Christ, that's end time insanity. It doesn't make any sense that you would take credit for something you have accomplished here on this earth. And there's a prophetic warning for you and I when we give ourselves the credit instead of thanking God. Church, I just think we need to heed this warning. We must thank God for everything. We have to thank him for everything. When it's raining yesterday morning and it butchers a project we've planned for six months, we thank God, right? Right, we thank God. 
that the things are gonna grow now, right? We thank God. When the sun is shining, thankfully to your faithfulness when you came in, we thank God for that. When things are going great, things are going incredible, we thank God. When things are horrific, we thank God. We thank God that, God, you're gonna teach me something in the midst of this valley, this storm, whatever you find yourself in. It seems crazy to thank God even in the bad, but I think the Bible clearly teaches us thank God for everything. It's insane to look at at, and and say, look what I've accomplished. And you say, no matter, you understand, I work harder than most, and you probably do. There's some lazy people at work, right? We know it in the office. There's some lazy people should not have a job. Talked to a brother this morning and said he wants to quit his job because five people he got a fire below him. He's probably right. He's probably telling the truth. There's a lot of lazy people. But to think that, no, no, I did this. I earned this. I work harder than anyone. I went to school longer than anyone. No, 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 no. If it wasn't for the brain God gave you, you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have done that. Again, I've said it before, but you don't have any raw material. You don't make raw material at your house. Go home, make me some oxygen. You can't. Like, you don't do that. Like, you don't make it. It all comes from him. And so our culture has gotten so arrogant that we just think that we know best. We have got to learn to get back to an attitude of gratitude all the time. We're just grateful for the things that God has given us. I love how 1 Corinthians 4, 7 in the Living Bible says it. It's not on the screen, but it says this. It's the Living Bible. I love this translation. It says, what are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? The answer is nothing, by the way, there. And if, it, if, it's, if all you have is from God, why are you acting as though if you are so great and though you have accomplished something on your own? I just love that. Listen, we, ha- we even have a hard time getting that even when we give to something. And maybe that's tithing. Maybe that's tipping at a, at a restaurant, giving to a homeless guy, whatever. You've got to understand you're merely a steward, a conduit of what God has already given you. So you wouldn't have any resources. You'd have none if it weren't for God. So even when you bless the homeless guy and you're the biggest blesser of the day, no, 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 no. You just gave him God's money. You've got to understand, like, I'm so grateful for what God has given me that he chose me. Why would he choose me to give you a, a friend in need? When you bless someone, don't pat yourself on the back. Understand that God gave you that to give to somebody. I think very little you have isn't for somebody else. Now, I'm not pro-communist up here. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, I'm telling you, I just think that, that what God gives you is meant to turn back to the body. It's meant to give back. And that might be love. That might be peace, joy. It could be some finances and some resources that you need to bless other people with. That's what he, that's what he does. It's this, it's this attitude that will bring you prosperity of your soul that the world cannot give you. It can't give you. Let me, let me give you a warning. If you ever get to a place where you feel like when I write a check, well, this should really help God out. Like if we ever get there, like it's a bad place to be. Like I worked hard. I'm gonna go ahead and bail the kingdom of God out here. I'm gonna bail them out. Like if we ever get there, it's a bad place to be. Negative, right? You just return what was already his. When you drop that man in a buck, you just give him back to what is hid. And I'm telling you, it's this attitude that will bring peace to our minds. Okay, so, so verse 26, this is kind of the third incentive. We'll read it first. As it was commanded to leave the stump of roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven actually rules. He said, this is the third thing bad in your thinking. You're not thinking straight, king. The first thing was... 
You think you're self-sufficient. You need to be God-dependent. And the second thing he said, you keep thinking, look at what I've accomplished, and you need to realize what came from God. But the last one here is critical and it's very serious. He says, here's your final problem, oh, Nebi, here's your problem. Like you think you rule, negative, heaven rules, heaven rules. I'm telling you, church, there's an arrogance in our society that we think we know more than God. And I'm telling you, we will legislate, we will argue that we now live in a progressive society. We've come so far. The Bible was written so long ago for this archaic group of people. It's kind of outdated. Church, I'm telling you, the further we get away from God's word, the more insanity you will see in the cultures to come. The more we get away from the word of God, I'm telling you, the earth is groaning and there's chaos in the streets because by a society, by and large, we have rejected God's word and God's standard. And for whatever reason, decided we all have our different standard. And so I have a standard, you have a standard, you have, there's not a standard. Like there has to be something, even logically, even if you're sitting there to say that it's not the Bible, it needs to be something. Like there has to be a standard or life doesn't make sense. Like what are we aiming for? And so as a believer in Christ, the standard for you must be the Bible. And the Bible doesn't get to be unrelevant for you. If you're a believer, if you consider yourself a Christ follower, this is the standard. I just think if we get back to it, if we'll get back to the word, that's why I push so much bringing it about. If you get back to reading the Bible, I think there's hope. I truly think there's hope. I think there's peace. I think we'll have peace again. He said, Pastor, can you prove that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and they pray, that that was point number one, and seek my face, that's point number two, and turn from their wicked ways. It's going to be point number three. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And God knows America needs some healing. You know what the best definition of sin is? It's my way, not yours, God. That's sin. That's as simple as I can explain sin is. Sin is it's my way, not your way. I don't care what the Bible says. This is my way. This is how I'm going to choose to raise my children. It's my way, God, because I've figured out something you don't know yet. It's sinful. It's arrogance. And I'm trying to call us back to the word of God to accept the authority. Like this has to bear weight on your life. That you're not a bunch of allegory stories just put together in a novel. This has to bear weight on your life. In time and sanity, write it down. Last one. When we think we know best instead of acknowledging that heaven rules. We don't have to understand all of it. And Lord knows I don't. But we have to obey it. We have to obey it. We have to get back to the point where we say, okay, God, you do know best. You did create everything. Like you do know best. You think about any product that you might possess in your house. You can't figure it out. The owner knows. Call him. I don't care about the television. I don't, I don't care who. The creator knows what's best, always. Yeah, that's always the first person you would call if you had the opportunity. All these creators will answer their phone. I understand that <laughs> at home. But that's who you'd call. He knows best. So how do we do it? How do we get sanity restored? Let me finish the story here. Verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. And let me just say today, accept this advice it's a sound advice for all of us. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps 
be a lengthening of your prosperity. And again, that's peace inside. We're talking about gold chains here. That's peace inside is what he's talking about. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He didn't listen to the advice, by the way. It does not go well. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and he said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal resident and for the glory of my majesty, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. Remember, he had a warning. He did not heed the warning. So look what happens. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven among men, and your dwelling shall be in the beast of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. In the period of seven periods shall pass over you until you know that the Most High God rules the kingdom of men and gives to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled, fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. That's what happened to him. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers. And his nails were like birds, claws. Like he literally went insane. At the end of his days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted though my eyes up to heaven. He, he got smart. And I think that finally, it took him a while, but he finally got smart. And I think the warning is here for you and I so also. So you don't got to have dew on your head, right? You want some feathers? Don't listen. You want claws? Like, don't listen, right? Heed the warning of the Bible here. And he says, my reason returned to me. I am blessed the most high and praise and honor him who lives forever. He got saved. He followed Daniel's God at the end of his life. Let me finish this. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right. Even the ones that don't understand, they're right. And his ways are just. And it's those who walk in pride, <clears throat> he is able to humble. Amen, amen, and amen. Write these three things down really quick and we're done. I want you to see that I want us to live these things out because I don't want you to have feathers, right? Here we go. Listen to what it says. You can have your sanity restored, I believe, when you exalt the king of heaven. When you exalt the king of heaven. Why? Because he's worthy. I'm going to ask us to and praise someone who's not worthy. He's worthy of your praise. The second thing, acknowledge that God does everything right and his ways are right. Stop trying to figure God out. I think you should study. I think you should look, get in here and look. And I don't understand this. I'm going to do a word study. I think you should do that. But you need to hear me say and understand, you're not going to figure out God. If you do, he's not God. If you know every single in and out of God, how is he God? There's things you're never going to know. Just acknowledge he's right. He's right. He's right. And the last one is simple. I think profound though is simply just walk in humility. We don't do this well. We are not good at this. Walk in humility. What's that? So just cowering down and walking with your head down? No, no, no. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. There's a big difference. 
I'm not asking anyone to think less of themselves, but think about yourself less. Think about others more. It's understanding. It's not about me. Let me close with this final thought. James 4.10 says this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Let me submit this to you. You're gonna get humbled one way or the other. You just are. It's by far easier to humble yourself than to be humbled. And the scriptures say, if we will humble ourselves, then the Lord will lift us up. And that's good news, family. Father God, we love you. We thank you, God. We thank you for uh, every situation. We thank you for the good ones. When we don't realize they're good, good, that the good is coming from you, we thank you for those. God, we thank you for the bad ones, the difficult situations. We thank you even for that. God, we thank you that you are so patient with us. God, even myself, when I, when I preach a message like this and I read the word like this, and then later today, when pride begins to sneak back into my life, God, you are so patient with us. You're so forgiving of us. But the reality is, God, I, I would confess for all of every one of us, God, we want you number one. And God, we ultimately want what you want for our lives, regardless of what that looks like right now, momentarily. And so God, we just thank you again just for being so gracious to us and so peaceful and slow to anger. It's beyond my understanding, God, how you don't get tired of me, (laughs) but you're a good God. You're a just God. And we just say yes, Lord, to you. So as you head back and your eyes closed, maybe you would say this. If you were honest with yourself today, uh, maybe you would say that, man, I've kind of lived my own thing forever. I've lived my own way. I've kind of made my own decision. I've kind of raised my kids the way I want to raise them. I ran my marriage the way I want to do it. I've got this. I've got this. I've got this. But today, I don't know, man. You just realize there's a better way. And a better way is through a Savior who came and he lived and he died for you. Listen to me. He died for you. And so today, you just say to yourself, man, we give an opportunity every week. Man, today's my day. I want to submit my life to him. This isn't, this isn't perfection. This isn't suddenly everything disappears in my life that's bad. This is, listen, I, I want to swallow my pride, my arrogance, and realize I need to submit to the one who created me. And you've got a stirring in your heart today. I'm telling you, that's the spirit of God. If that's you today and you say, man, yeah, I want to follow after him. I'm going to figure this out along the way, but I want to follow him today. If that's you, I want you to slip up your hand. Man, today's my day. I want to, I'm going to follow you. I want us to pray this prayer out loud together as a family. Pray this way, Father God, thank you for saving me. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins from this day forward. I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, I want to encourage you to like it or share it on social media and tag at VFC underscore Newcastle. If you haven't already, download the Victory Family Church app to stay connected with everything that's happening throughout the week. Thanks again for listening. Have an awesome week.